0: Turn with me, maybe take, um, just introduce the thought from Isaiah to you. Um, We have about, um, we'll call it 20 minutes or so to do that. And the good news, part one, the good news, part one. And let me read to you um, this good news. And notice what the text says, Isaiah 40, um, it says here, In verse 9, go up to a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. Or the Nazby says with might, or mightily lift up your voice. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. The the Nazby actually says, here is your God. I'm reading from the ESV. And it says in verse 10, behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules with him. Behold, his reward, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with that are with young are are the nursing hues as uh, the NASB says. A wonderful text, and when you think about the world today, this message of good news, because it's clear from the text itself, it says, you must proclaim, notice it says it twice, herald of good news, herald of good news. We live in a society um, that is full of bad news, is it not? Even some of the questions you ask me, there's bad news that I saw uh, when I was abroad. We turn the pages of any newspaper and you'll see bad news. We listen Um, on the radio, and we hear bad news. We turn on our television, and we hear bad news. And it seems that so often, uh, bad news sells. What do do I mean by that? It does. Uh, We like things that seem to be excitable. We like to hear the gossip about what has happened to some person. And if you were to just scroll through an app that was showing you the headlines for news, generally the news would be bad. Something is found out. Uh, This person is indicted. Uh, This person has been scandalous. And those are the headlines that we see so often. Tragic news, bad news, circumstances. Now, of course, there's bad news that one can receive, and it's necessary that we receive it. When I was away in Africa, I heard about the storms that hit in the Midwest, And I was noticing the one city in in Kentucky that's essentially wiped out by the tornado. And I saw the pictures and I was praying that in the midst of the bad news that they have received, perhaps there can be some good news, some news of hope. And you do find news of hope in circumstances like that. Like there was one person that had been missing for several days and then they were found and discovered, reunited with family. That is good news. But we know that there is an ultimate good news, and that good news is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, is it not? So even if there is bad news surrounding us, if we know the good news of Christ, that can give us hope. It can give us that sense of purpose. It can encourage our souls. And in this text, there are some questions that need to be answered. And the questions are essentially this. Well, number one, who is proclaiming the good news? So it says, O Zion, O Jerusalem, O herald of good news. So who is proclaiming this good news and and what is the nature of the good news? And then we can also should answer from this text, how should they proclaim it? Because we're going to notice in this text, there's a manner in which this news should be proclaimed. And then we need to understand, especially, what is the nature of the good news? And, and how can we begin to answer these questions? Well, one way is just to look at some of the words that are in the passage itself. So let's do it together. Uh, and just open your Bibles, and we'll walk through them, although I have all the words here. Uh, notice what is said initially, get yourself. He says, get yourself up on a high mountain. Why high mountain? Well, we'll consider that in a moment. Then it says, Zion or Jerusalem, one and the same. Zion, proclaim the good news. Jerusalem, proclaim the good news. Then twice it's stated, good news, good news. And we'll notice something that's a compliment to what's said earlier, because earlier there is this call to say, comfort, oh, comfort my people. Why was it repeated twice? Why not simply say once, comfort my people? But no, it's repeated twice to comfort, and here it's repeated twice to proclaim what? Good news, good news. And that is simply a technique that one would use for emphasis. And we do that often, um, even in the scriptures, Jesus Christ, particularly in the gospel of John. Uh, we see him stating often, amen. And what? Amen. truly, 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 I say to you. So he's saying, hear me, hear me. This is important. This is significant. And so comfort my people, comfort my people, speak good news, speak good news. And then he says, do not fear. This is incredibly important. You remember when we were introducing um, this series in Isaiah and how we noted that there were certain phrases and words that we needed to understand. We already looked earlier for the first appearance of the word glory and how we see glory throughout Isaiah. Well, this is the first appearance of do not fear. Incredibly important. Not only is it important for the theme of Isaiah, but it's important for really the theme of our life. And that's why you see this word, do not fear, as the most repeated command in all of the scripture, because we have a tendency to do what? To fear. To fear. fear. So he says, don't fear. And we're going to ask ourselves a question. Why does he make this statement not to fear? And then he says, also, when you proclaim this news, you should proclaim it to the cities of Judah. This is not just a message for uh, Jerusalem, but it's a message for all of the cities as well. And he says, what is the message? Well, at first it states at the end of verse nine, behold, um, here is your God. Pause, behold, and we'll note later in this series about the importance of even just that word behold and behold is meant to cause a sense of pause. And I'll just tell you even now. Because in the suffering passage, what is the first word that you see as it begins that great section? Behold, it says what? My servant shall do what? He shall prosper. And here behold. And then we see it in verse 10, again, to behold. In verse 11, to behold. That is, pay attention to this message. And then he says, what's also important about this message? Notice the word might. God will come with might. And he will also come with his arm ruling with him. He's going to come with a reward and he's going to come with recompense. But what is so important is that you'll notice a transition. Notice a transition if you look at your text. He says, well, God is going to come with might. So this is a picture of God as a sovereign God. So Adonai Yahweh is going to come. And remember, His uh, uh, Yahweh is what? The covenant-keeping God. Adonai speaks of his lordship or his sovereignty. So it's really a statement that says the sovereign Yahweh or the sovereign covenant-keeping God is going to come with might. But I want you to notice he comes with might, but he also comes as what? As a shepherd. And notice his arm. In one sense, his arm is what ruling and another sense, his arm is taking in even his sheep. So we see the sovereign picture of God in this good news, but we see a, a tender image of God as well. He is one that comes as a sovereign Lord of all things. His arm is ruling with him because he will subject all the nations to himself. He will come with a reward. He will come with recompense, but he will also be a shepherd who tenderly cares for his sheep. What a wonderful picture, isn't it? And you see that in Jesus Christ, do you not? Because Jesus Christ is in fact the son of God face to face with God but yet he is also the good what? Shepherd and what does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for his sheep so you have one that can come in might and he will take the lives of his enemies but he also gives life to his sheep. What a wonderful picture of God and this is a part of the good news. He will gather his people together so not only will he gather them together because the the people are dispersed but it says in a, in, a tend, in a tender, intimate way, he will do what carry them. And that's what shepherds do. And at times it's absolutely necessary. Um, and this is why the scripture even tells us in the suffering servant passage, all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has done what? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in one sense, it's the image that one may have, even of a shepherd, if a sheep has gone astray, that he may throw the sheep where? On his shoulders and bring him back to the fold. And so with Christ, in a spiritual sense, he has taken upon himself all of our sins that have led us astray. And then he will gently lead. He's gentle, the scripture says, gentle and meek of spirit. And that's why even in the scripture tells for leaders that they are not to lord it over like the Gentiles do, but they are to be what? They are to be gentle with the people of God. So that gives us a sense of of this good news, even from these words. But let's move ahead and another 10 minutes or so just to set up the message for later on. When we set the context for this passage, there's some things we need to consider. Go back to Isaiah 40. Look at Isaiah 40 again, and so verses 1 to 2, 3 to 5, and then 6 to 7, what do we notice in verses 1 to 2? He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she, res- she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of, of her sins. So again, the emphasis, bring comfort to the people of God. So proclaim comfort to Jerusalem. And then he says in verses three to five, uh, announce the glorious coming of God. And it says a voice. Now, we're not even sure who these voices are, but nonetheless, um, they have a message. And what is the message? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And we already noted from before this idea of making straight a highway for our God is because God is going to come to his people. Some have thought, well, the highway is so that the people can leave, uh, they can leave exile. But it is beyond that. The picture is making a way straight for God so that God may come. And we see that fully expressed in Jesus Christ coming to his people. Because you remember an application of this text would have been John the Baptist. And what does, what was the message of John the Baptist make straight the way of the Lord. And John the Baptist was simply one that was crying in the wilderness and here wilderness. John the Baptist would cry in the wilderness and Christ in fact would come. And then in verse five, and it says, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed <clears throat> and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And we already noted before, especially when it says the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here is a sense of assurance. If God has spoken it, then we can rest assured in the message itself. And when would it be revealed? Uh, It would be revealed um, in several different ways. It will be revealed when Cyrus would deliver the people of God. That's the glory of God being revealed. And all the nations would see that God's hand is with his people. It would be revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, because what does John's gospel say? It says that we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Then the glory of God was revealed in it's also stated in Hebrews chapter one. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And then we can say that it's connected even to the father. Turn with me, if you will, to Titus chapter two, Titus two. It tells us in Matthew twenty four thirty that what is going to be revealed in the future is the great glory of Jesus Christ when he comes again at the second coming. His glory will be revealed. But then if we consider Titus, if you will, Titus chapter two, verse 13, and it says this, uh, let's begin in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And in context, then we are waiting for something to appear. We should be properly motivated to live this way. What will properly motivate us to live this way? Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this glory revealed in that way. So, yes, through Cyrus revealed the person of Jesus Christ revealed and even connected to the father, the glory that the father gives the son and it will be manifest. So the glory of God revealed. Go back to um, Isaiah. Isaiah 40. And then if we move on. Verses six through eight is so important to what we're going to look at at Verses nine through 11. Again, another voice cries out and it says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? What is the message? And here's a part of the message. Not only should you comfort my people as a part of the message, not only let them know that they're forgiven as a part of the message, that their time of warfare has ended as a part of the message, but also make sure that you cry this out as well. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The, gla- the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. And then in contrast, what is true? It says, surely the people are what? What are the people? Grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will do what? So notice verse 8, if you will. Then go back to verse five. Notice how both sections end. Verse five ends with what? For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And verse eight, ending the next section, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Notice that. So the assurance of the message. So this bleeds into what is going to be communicated here in verse verses nine through eleven. So first, the messenger of the good news. Go back to the cities of Judah, behold your God, this bearer of good news. How would this be expressed? What is the good news? What is the message? Now, working in reverse from uh, a New Testament perspective, it's obvious. What is the good news? Christ has come and he has come with the message of salvation and life can be found in him. No one can come to the Father except by what? Through the Son. This is the good news. The good news is Jesus Christ come, lived, died, and risen again from the dead and returning again. This is the good news. And we have to make sure that we get the good news right. What is heartbreaking whenever I take these trips and I visit other places around the world, um, the gospel is not always proclaimed correctly. You say, why well, think about planting churches? Uh, And a place that has, at times, in certain areas, many churches. Because if you were to go to that place and go to that place, you would find that they're not proclaiming the good news. I told you before, two years ago, when I was in Madagascar, one of the poorest countries in the world. And I'm in Madagascar, and what is ripe in Madagascar? Is it reform preaching that is right? Is it sound doctrine that is right? Who is doing well? Are people saying, I've been listening to John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul, and I've been reading Calvin? No, what they're saying is that I'm listening to Marilyn Hickey. What are the other crackpots? Um, Kenneth Copeland, (laughs) Kenneth Copeland, um, and the list goes on, correct? And that's what they're saying. And even as we talked about, like bookstores in South Africa, who are they carrying? And some of them won't carry John MacArthur's works. But they'll have the guy from Houston there, uh, Joel Osteen. All right, let me just let me for a moment, let me depart from the message. Uh, and there is some connection to it. I love the video that I saw. And um, it was actually someone they had gone to Barnes and Noble and they were saying it was one book national bestseller from the pastor of um, Australia. Um, Hillsong, and it was about you know essentially how to have the life that you've always wanted in this life. Although Christ said, think about your life in the future. Um, you know, minor details for these people, um, and so he was he was videoing the book. And he actually had a copy of Costi Hen's book about, you know, the deception of the prosperity gospel. And he put it in front of that one. And I said, job well done. Now, if we can get you a couple thousand copies, if we could just buy up all of the other guys' copies and burn them, that would be the way to do it. But the only problem with buying up his copies, then it shows that he's selling well. So I don't know what to do. Sort of like Mark Driscoll when he was buying his own books so he could be a national bestseller. So I'm not somebody needs to come up with a solution to this. I'm not sure what it is. What's the point? People are saying they're preaching the gospel, but they aren't. There are many churches around, but can you hear Christ is Lord? You're a sinner. And guess what? You may come to Christ and your life may become worse. You may come to Christ and you may get cancer. You may come to Christ and your child may die in an automobile accident. You may come to Christ and you serve Christ and your spouse says, I want nothing to do with you and leave you behind. Yeah, there is no naming and claiming out there. The, 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 the uh, idiocy of this, and I'll call it spiritual idiocy of this negative confession. Well, don't say it because it may take place. No, that's not life. That's not the good news. But the good news is this, that I can be forgiven and I can have a relationship with the living God and nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ. Amen. Amen. There is a good news. It says this, even as a child of God, I may get cancer, but the one who has a ruling arm also has a gentle arm and he can lead me through it. I may come to Christ and my spouse may leave me, but I have a brother who sticks closer than any other person. And I have a family who can support me through it. Yeah, I may come to Christ and I may lose my job, but the, the Lord God will provide for my every need. This is a part of the good news. And Jerusalem, Zion was to herald this good news. And this good news would manifest itself. Because Cyrus would come and take the people of God away. The good news would manifest itself because as we'll follow in the next couple of weeks about when we see good news throughout Isaiah, there is a good news. The suffering servant would come. And as it says, behold, my servant shall prosper and he shall be high and lifted up. He will come and he will remove iniquity. That is good news. And there's also good news. As we see the latter part of Isaiah, there's good news that this great warrior, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, he will come and he will usher his people into glory. And this is what you see at the end. That's good news. So, yes, the Syrians have faded away. Now the Babylonians have come, but still proclaim good news. The Lord God, a faithful God, has not forsaken you. And for us in the New Testament era, he will never leave us or forsake us. Amen. Amen. Lo, I am with you for how long? Always. Always. Even until the end of the age. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. So pray for these next several messages as we unfold the rest of this text. Father, thank you for the good news that Jesus Christ has come that he's given his life, that even as we celebrate during this Christmas time, um, what good news that we have, that he would incarnate himself, taking on flesh, living amongst men, being falsely accused, beaten, spat upon, crucified, buried, but raised himself again from the dead, and will come again for his people. This is good news. We thank you for the privilege to know you. And I pray if there's anyone here today, they they don't have the hope of this good news, that you would open their eyes. In Christ's name, amen.